All right, everybody, thanks for joining us. We're going to get started. Today's the power hour. Uh, calls are starting to come in pretty heavy. Questions are lining up, so you want to jump in early. If you've got a question, a comment, a topic, press 1 on your phone. We'll get to you. I'll keep you updated as we go. Your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is Let'sTruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking, and today is the Power Hour. I'm joined by the guys from Pittsburgh Power. Looks like we've got Ethan and John today. We're going to take your calls and answer your questions about everything maintenance. Engines, performance, fuel mileage, modifications, upgrades, troubleshooting, electrical, emissions, new technology, you name it. We'll talk about it. And all you have to do is pick up the phone and ask your question. We're going to get to those questions in just a little bit. I want to bring John and Ethan back. Welcome, guys. Hi, Kevin. It's great to be here. Hi, Kevin. Great to have you here. Now, Bruce told me on Sunday he was going to be here. What happened? I have no idea. When he left here last week he told me i'd see him on the 16th i didn't know if that many was not going to phone in for this or not but uh yeah i don't know what's up with him i haven't talked to him all day i talked to him once oh, yeah we had him he wasn't on... going to make it oh <laughs> <laughs> well, you had him on on sunday yeah sunday we had him on the show we we do kind of a preview of the truck show so we bring on all of our partner companies and talk about what they'll be doing at the show and what's new and exciting so he got to tell me what's new and exciting. You guys have got a lot going on over there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hopefully, it lines up with what what he what he said we had going on. <laughs> so, but it's busy. Oh, uh, we'll see. <laughs> Good. Good. So, so hey, I've got a couple things, and I'll see what what you guys have got that's new. Um, I sent you a link this morning, and I didn't have a lot of time to dig into that, but it seems um, kind of interesting. You know, this is such a trend everywhere now. We, we've been building up data on everything, and the new trend seems to be writing, you know, really sophisticated algorithms to interpret the data and make it useful. Um, I work with truckstop.com. In fact, I spent a week over in Boise last week. That's why we didn't do the show last week. And they have more data about loads moving, freight moving than anybody in the world. I just hundreds of millions of points of data about freight moving. And they built a predictive um, rate model. So, you know, we go by what the rate is today and we're lucky if we can get decent information about that. They have a predictive model. What are rates going to look like next week and the week after and which is pretty amazing stuff. We've never had anything like that. Now I see this company is taking all the ECM data and they've written an algorithm to predict 
when you're going to have a dwrite. That was pretty interesting. Yeah, that's that's really clever. That you, you and I remember we talked almost a year ago. I bet about uh, developing some sort of an app. Uh, you know, that was kind of a scan tool and so forth. But that's something that I would have loved to have worked into that, and that's sort of been on my mind. But as you're saying about data, it's it's pretty pretty amazing. We uh, you know we have the capability to do some emission testing here, and that thing generates these great big huge CSV files that are nothing but numbers and columns and rows, and uh, it, it's it's huge. And we could pull yeah. out the things we need, kind of. It, it's it's difficult. Ethan spends a pile of time on it. Uh, we've had other people try to spend a pile of time on it. So I got my son, who's an engineering student at a pretty elite engineering school in New Jersey, who was home for the summer, to come in. And he wrote a script, actually, to pull the data out and make it useful and, and pull out the things we need and uh, lay them over power generated rather than just a simple time. And it's amazing. He's probably got 100 hours in this little piece of software he's writing. And it's not fancy, you know, but it will do what we need it to do. So, yeah, the data is it's pretty amazing stuff. In the, in the racing world, we work a lot with simulation. So I could put all the car's geometry in, spring rates, weight, uh, tire spring rate, rolling resistance, uh, uh, damper values, uh, you know, my, my shock dampening and my ranges on adjustments on all of them. And I could put a track in there as well, and G-Force is generated and take data from a previous run. And I could simulate the car, and I could make changes to the car on a computer rather than actually running the thing. And it's amazing how close it is. It's it's just, but again, it's piles and piles of data. So so to me, that, uh, that, that piece that we're talking about for the trucks is fairly simple. All the info's there. Uh, things like uh, the Cummins will run in a silent D-rate. It'll do some things to cut it back long before it ever shows you a, uh, a light. And they'll t- they'll broadcast things like a suspect parameter, which is not really a full-blown check engine light, but it says, hey, this isn't quite where it should be at this temp or whatever. And that info is available to you through the data link, but not necessarily popping up on the dash. So, yeah, so to have a piece of software that looks at that stuff and sees when something's a little bit out of line, and then tells you, hey, you might want to check this out before you get a check engine light and you're stuck alongside the road is is absolutely brilliant. And, you know, I don't believe as complicated as, as we think. You're right. The data is all there. It, it, it's not yeah. necessarily complicated. It tends to be very time-consuming. Like you said, your son has 100 hours in a fairly simple program. That's what we find here. You know, we, we have a programming arm now, and... I I look at all this data that we generate as a company, whether it's something as crazy as just Facebook data, which I have tons of, um, store data, you know, our customer data, our fuel mileage data, our accounting data. I look at it all and think there's a gold mine there, but it's going to take a platinum mine worth of money to get it out. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah. Uh maybe not. I don't know. That that gets, you know, again that gets cheaper and cheaper and easier and easier all the time, but it, there is there is time involved still. Yeah, I think about that every time I use one of my uh, rewards cards of some sort at the local convenience store to buy fuel or to buy groceries or whatever. I'm like there's someone looking at my demographic who knows who I am and what I'm buying and where I'm buying it and and thus knows how I'm going to do this or that and and that data is all for sale somewhere and being compiled and but you know I like free stuff, so I'll so I'll keep using my card until I, I get that free coffee, right? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'll tell you the craziest story about that, and I can't remember which book I read it in. It might have been The World Is Flat, or 
it, w- it was a technology business kind of future book on, on what's happening with a lot of technology. And it was a lot about data. So the example was Target. And Target built such amazing algorithms based on customer purchases. This sounds crazy. I went back and verified this, though. They had a really good success rate of predicting when a woman was pregnant before she even knew it. <laughs> I totally believe that, for sure. And just think of the value of that insane. data. I mean, you, you know, to sell that stuff to political well, they, campaigns and whatever, there's a ton of money in it, I'm sure. I'm sure they make a pile of money off of that data. Well, for them, their whole goal was they, they saw a market in new mothers – And through all their research, they found out that new mothers were one of the most loyal shoppers. Once they settled on who they were going to buy their stuff from, they stuck with them. They were very loyal. So the race was, how do you get to them first? And, you know, you could be on lists and, you know, all those other things. But they took the other approach. They said, we want to know before they know. Then we'll be the absolute first to hit them up with a congratulations email and coupons for baby stuff. And it it was a big deal, but I thought that was just crazy and a little scary. And it all comes down to the loyalty cards, the reward cards. That's where they gather all this data on everything you're buying, when you're buying it, how much you're buying. And we don't think, you know, it's important, but in the right hands, they can tell a lot about us from, from that information. (laughs) Oh, I'm sure. I mean, I, I fill my truck up every uh, every Friday, whether it needs it or not, right? So, uh, so they must know I got paid Thursday night. <laughs> yeah, yeah, crazy stuff. So, uh, all right. So that was one thing. The other one I wanted to talk about. Uh, you and I have talked about this. I think it's an awesome program. Did you see the press release from Run on Less this this morning? I did not see this morning's no, and I follow that pretty closely. I've actually been uh, I've got our uh, Twitter account up and running again, and I've been retweeting their stuff. And I intend to be there in Atlanta when those guys get there. I'm gonna I'm gonna head down to the show and check it out, and uh, I want to be there when that ends. But no, yeah, what was they this morning's press release that I missed. I think it was this morning. It was the first time I saw it, and I follow it pretty close. They announced the drivers and the the equipment. They they said the drivers and the technology. I really didn't. They didn't go too deep into technology. They kind of said. You know, this guy's got a 2018 Cascadia, you know, this model, that kind of thing. But they announced the drivers. They announced. But here's I love the program. Mike Roth has done an amazing job on this. And him and I talked about this many years ago. Here's where I see the problem coming in. We're going to get it's going to be good PR about fuel mileage and that. The problem is from the word go, this is looked at as a contest. I mean, that, that's how we thought of it, was a contest. Who can get the best fuel economy, controlling as many variables as you could control so that it's very equal, you know, weights and terrain, and then let the different technologies kind of prove themselves. And the driver, they, they, there's a problem, and I'll uh, the music's playing, so I'm going to get to a break, and we'll come back. We'll talk about that right after this. Stick around. We'll be right back with more stuff. I'm Kevin Rutherford.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. I've got John and Ethan with me from Pittsburgh Power, and we're going to take your calls and answer your questions in just a couple minutes. So here's where I see the problem, Um, and this comes from knowing truck drivers for one and knowing how this is going to go ahead of time. They're, They're not running the same route. Everybody in this is going to go do their own thing. You've got one guy who's running a day cab, and he's doing multiple stops, you got another uh, team that's going to keep the running the truck running almost consistently on a dedicated route in the south. Everybody's doing something different, and then they're meeting in Atlanta. I, the problem is this is looked at as a contest. Somebody, everybody wants to know who's going to get the best fuel mileage out of this whole thing. That's all anybody's going to look at, and then they'll start fighting about why. Well, of course I didn't do as good. I had to do multiple stops. Well, I had a headwind the whole time. It, it's, we're going to lose the, the benefit of this because everybody's going to be arguing about, you know, why this truck wasn't number one and that one was. Uh-oh, I got to bring you guys on. Hold on. You're probably talking and nobody's hearing you. Go ahead. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was. I was talking to myself. I do that often. Yeah, it's okay. The interesting thing about that is, yeah, I figured it would have all been the same. That doesn't make a whole. I'd say doesn't. You know, I, I love the whole idea, but uh, you know, it would be at least cool to have two or three trucks that are on the same route hauling a similar load, who you know are kind of restricted in that regard to to try and get the same work done on the you know x amount of fuel, just to have a you know actual contest there. In uh, in Formula One, uh, which is you know to me the pinnacle of motorsport and so many technologies come from, they have a specific amount of fuel to get a race done on. And in early engine development, after some sort of regulation change normally, it's uh, it's difficult. There are teams who don't make it. Some of the back market teams don't get to the end of the race on the 200 pounds of fuel. And the fuel is always done in weight, not gallons, So it's because uh, it changes so drastically with temperature. But uh, So, yes, yeah, right. so you get 200 pounds of fuel or 200 uh, or 100 kilos of fuel, so 220 or 230 pounds of fuel, whatever that is. To do a uh, to do a 200 mile race, and it's that's it. That's all you got. So, you know that's why they've been de- developing the hybrid technologies and and you know what they call curves over their kinetic energy recovery, to uh, you know to get to get it done. So they take more fuel away next year. So next year they might have 75 kilos of fuel to get the race done on. So it's uh, you wow. know so it pushes the technology and they have to figure out how to get it done. So so this thing here would have been neat if they all had just the X amount of fuel <laughs> to get it done. Yeah, and there you, you go. Know, there, there's, you think about. It, I had a long talk with uh, Tad Kelsey this morning, who is uh, still got the DD15 running great. It's, uh, you know, his uh, he's got the our very first foot separator, the one in the in the use on there, and it's it seems to be making a difference for him. And he's uh, in a situation now where he's not on that same dedicated route. He's knocking down the not knocking down the huge numbers he was, uh, but he's making more money. You know he's got uh, you know he's got to run 70, 71 miles per hour. He's sometimes hauling time critical stuff, uh, blood plasma and things. He's often fully loaded. He's got all you know. So he said, I have to be there. He goes, I I don't have the choice. You know he he's more than happy to run 58 all the time and reap the benefits of that. But the realization he came to was that you know might save him seven or eight hours a week, which is almost another whole work day, which is x amount more money possibly. And you know so the there's a balance to be struck. And I think it's so dependent on what you're making and the 
the profit, you know, is, is, is a big deal there too. I realize the run on less things all about creating less CO2, but you know, they, there is, this is a business too. Yeah. And that's all any, nobody in the trucking world, really drivers, owner operators, small fleets, nobody's measuring their emissions output. It, it's not, a factor in their operation, their profitability. We're looking at fuel economy. I mean, the people in the industry, if if they're interested, it's going to be in fuel economy they're interested in. And, you know, you just brought up speed. The team can probably drive 55 the whole time, maybe less, and they'll probably still get their work done and be just fine. The guy doing multiple stops in a day cab, and, and people might think day cabs have the advantage. They don't. Day cabs, the aerodynamics is much more difficult on a day cab. I, I know this because mm-hmm. I thought the same thing. I thought a day cab would be a more efficient truck if I didn't need the sleeper, and it was less efficient. It's hard to build good aerodynamics into that short space at the front. So there's, and I understand the difference in trucks. That's kind of the point to this what works better, but we'll never know from this what works better. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Yeah, I, I agree. But I guess it'll be more more data generated, and there's more, you know, the the NACI yeah. thing, and and you know, testing different technologies and gathering data on those is is interesting. Um, I've got one you'll love to hate. So with, with our current okay. dealings and and things I've got to do uh, that involve the EPA nowadays, I've been doing more and more research, and I got sucked into reading GHG two or a whole lot of it. And oh boy. You wouldn't believe the info that's in there. Uh, no, I, you, you, like I said, you'll, you'll, you'll love to hate it. But everything we talk about, so many technologies and so forth. I mean, they get into rotating mass and fuel savings related to that. There's math and data on everything, including ROI. Um, you know, this will cost this much to implement. It will save this much fuel. It'll take this long to get it back. And it, it's not fuzzy at all. It's very wow. specific and very detailed. And really, really interesting. I think I was thinking of you as I was reading it. I'm like, you know, I don't know how I'm going to get uh, Kevin to be at all interested in reading a, a government, an 800 page piece of regulation, which is 787 or something. I think it is. But uh, as soon as you start scanning it over and reading, it's it's really interesting. There is, uh, you know, for everything that they call for or recommend or outline in here to get to the numbers they're looking to get to by 2027, it's all stuff that we talk about. It's uh, low rolling resistance tires. It is lightweight wheels, lightweight brakes, lightweight, you know, rotating mass is, is actually addressed and, and thought about and the, and the benefits are calculated. I'm sure they use some sort of simulation software, the engineers who worked on this. And it's uh, it's really interesting. And they get into, and with the time frame they've laid out to do it, it all pays for itself in fuel. Uh, the fuel consumption goes down to the point, you know, with all of these technologies that, it, that, it, that it's self-sustainable. So, uh yeah, you might find it interesting. I didn't realize, you know, you think, oh, man, 800 pages of regulation. It's not just about regulation. They've got all the math, right. all the uh, ROI. There is everything in there explaining why they're going to recommend this technology and that technology, and it's it's, it's really interesting. But, uh, no, yes, I, I mean, you don't have to read the whole thing, but scan over it. It's Just Google it. You'll find it. It's online. It's right on their website. It's a 787-page PDF, and it's, it's it, it is actually good reading. I, I am going to go read it because I happen to be building one of my online courses on fuel mileage, and that would be an awesome resource to have that kind of data. You know, it's the, yeah, the everything is there. Arrow is every, there. You'll be impressed. I, I think you'll be impressed. Cool. 
cool. Yep. That'll be good. The the rotating mass. Every time I've tried to talk about that, zero response. I mean, I, I dropped that one a long time ago. You know, trying to tell somebody <laughs> why moving from a tall twenty four five tire to a low profile twenty two five almost always improves fuel economy. And what everybody wants to focus on is, but my RPMs are going to be too high. The, the engine is actually pretty <laughs> forgiving. That RPM range is just not all that critical, but every other factor that goes with that tire is. The taller sidewall has more rolling resistance. It's heavier. There's more rotating mass. They, on, there's a bigger footprint, on and on and on. And yet all they want to focus on is, but my RPMs are going to be too high. Yeah, but it doesn't matter. I mean, that, that you still see a net gain almost every single time. It, modifications like that, again, in the world that I come from with the motorsport, when we could do something like a lighter set of wheels or, or the, the new tire was lighter than the old one or uh, hollow uh, axle shafts or lighter flywheels, which are usually specced by the rule. But anytime we could – to me, those, those are really – those are money in the bank changes. You see them instantly, like yeah. You, and, and it's so much easier for me because I see it on the stopwatch. So if I see it on the stopwatch, that just means we had to gain an efficiency. Which, in the exact same world over here in the truck, that's just going to going to translate translate into less fuel burned because it, it takes fuel to make that stuff go around. So if you're making more stuff go around, yeah. you're burning more fuel. The energy's in the fuel. So if if you're swinging a heavier weight, it, there's there's more you know it's energy in the the fuel that's um, moving that around. So there's that's a no-brainer, yeah. you know stuff like that. You know the, the wheels need to be as light as possible, tires need to be as light as possible, at least amount of rolling resistance. I can't get over what these drive shafts weigh. I mean, I I'd love to play with a composite drive shaft. Uh, these things are just just there god go. awful heavy, and you know, yeah. and I know there's composite technology that would do that. It'd probably be really expensive, but you know, again, it's uh, it, it's definitely possible. It's not not out of the realm of possibility. Well, you know, in many, many technologies, when you start down that road, they are expensive. If you prove the technology and you can scale it up and, and more demand drives price down, and it, that's how we bring a technology to market at a good cost. When we're talking about things like tires and wheels, the other thing people don't realize, this isn't the, the fact where you're just spending money on something and hope to get fuel mileage back. We know it's going to work. And two, you have to have tires anyway. You're going to buy a tire. You're going to buy a rim. You're going to put money in. Why not put the best money in? That, that's Absolutely. It's not an add-on. It's something you already need, something you'll already spend money on. Let's spend money on the right one because it's a huge saving. So, all right, music's playing. I've got to get to a break. We will be right back. We'll get to your calls and questions. I'm Kevin Rutherford.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. I've got Ethan and John with me from Pittsburgh Power, and we're going to get to some of your calls and questions. So anything else, guys, or should we get to some calls? Let's get to some calls. All right. Let's do that. Let's start off in the Great White North. We're off to Alaska. Kevin, welcome to the program. Did you say Alaska? I'm, I'm I think Arkansas. so. It says A. <laughs> oh. oh, well, it says it says A K up on my screen. So, um, oh, that's... Typo. <laughs> it's typo. Close. Come on, they're yeah, quite, they're both part of the United States. Uh, no, I just had What's a question. What's up, Hearing a little bit. Uh... In a, in a month or so, I'm fixing to uh, buy me a new uh, glider kit, and now they're offering the N14 Cummins, the the uh, 3406 Cat, and the Detroit 60 Series. And the only things I can tell the difference of them are is uh, the Caterpillar has a four-year unlimited mile warranty, and whereas the other two only have a three-year, 300,000 mile warranty. Um, so I'm kind of up in the air about which is going to be better. Well, let me jump in with my opinion on all of it, and then I'm sure these guys will have an opinion as well. Let's start with the warranty. When I look at a list of 10 factors when I'm, I'm going to buy or spec a truck, warranty might not even make the top 10, anywhere in the top 10. I could care less. Um, most warranty work is shoddy and rushed. It's I, I just it's not a big factor for me. So really what you're talking about is another year. The unlimited mileage sounds wonderful, but it's still a four year. So really, it's not unlimited mileage. It's how many miles you put on the truck in four years that that's your limit. Right. So you're getting you're getting a warranty with all three. One's a little better. But the odds of that warranty making any real difference in your business is slim to none. That's why it's so far down the list for me. I want to look at the factors that make a difference in my business. Cost, fuel economy, maintenance cost, durability, you know, life of the engine, all of those factors. So the, the cat for me, it, and let me start with this too. You can't go wrong with either one of these engines. All three of these are great engines. We know them well. We know how to run them. We know how to fix them. They all have their pluses and minuses, but it's kind of like arguing Apple versus Samsung at this point. It's going to come down mostly to personal preference. I'll give you kind of how my experience with these engines. The cat's going to pull the best. It's going to be the strongest engine. So you... You list what you want out of an engine and then try to match the the pros and cons. The cat's going to be the strongest. It's probably going to be be the most expensive to maintain of the three. And you would probably have a slightly harder time getting the best fuel economy out of that one. So look at that as the performance engine, but you're going to pay for it. You're going to pay for it maintenance and fuel. So far, the the best fuel economy we've been able to get is out of the Series 60. But I have a feeling if I spent as much time on the N14 as I have on the Series 60, 
that difference might go away. Where the N14 really shines is the lifetime of that engine. That is just an amazing engine. It stays together forever. Uh, we have a couple of them that I know of that went 2 million miles without an in-frame. And it's fairly inexpensive to repair, and it just doesn't break much anyway. And it's just drop-dead simple. Um, so that's your advantage on the N14. Easy to maintain, inexpensive to maintain, last forever. So you're going to get a huge value out of the lifetime of that engine. For me, the Series 60 is the fuel economy. We can get tremendous amounts of horsepower and torque out of it if we want them. It also hardly ever breaks, um, and it's pretty simple to fix, and we have access to parts. So, But again, you can't go wrong with any of these three. really just depends on what you're looking for. What do you think, guys? I'm with I'm on this I'd go with the Series 60 personally. I don't believe you're going to get the efficiency out of the Cat and that 4-year unlimited mile warranty is prorated. It's not quite what it seems to be. And the uh look closely at that uh 3-year 300,000 mile warranty as well. It's uh, not uh, not all as represented sometimes. I know we try to do warranty work here. So it's uh <laughs> you know it it really is uh um, yeah, it's 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 difficult. Uh, so so just don't even don't even think about that. Don't don't pay extra for the warranty. I mean, if you were buying a brand new truck with uh, after treatment and such, I'd say yeah, go ahead and but then get the extra warranty because you have a real dealership to work with. Uh, you know, one of the disadvantages to the uh, Glider is uh, the manufacturers really don't like standing behind even the chassis stuff. They 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 really shun working on them. They don't they don't like having them around at all. So you're always in a battle with somebody on the warranty end. So just forget about that. If you want, buy Glider because you want it, not because you want a new truck with warranty, um, and then go with the uh, I'd go with the Series 60 personally. I mean the the power that those things make is they're just amazing little engines. I I had no idea how great they were, and a lot of reasons and things we just talked about there. You know, there you know, there is less rotating mass in there. It's a more efficient engine. It's uh, you know than than the others. The N14 is it's a solid workhorse too, but you'll You'll get more power, you know, out of the and and more fuel mileage out of the uh, out of the Detroit, I believe. I'll see what he, see what Ethan thinks of that, but uh, yeah, well, from what I've seen there, the the, the cat is going to be the hardest to get the fuel mileage. Right. Not yeah. that it can't be done; it's just going to take a little more effort, time, and money. Right. Uh, it's probably the most expensive to fix if there's an issue. Mm -hmm. uh, the Series 60, just with the smaller displacement, doesn't mean it can't have the horsepower and torque right. and, and get the fuel mileage. And they're bulletproof. I mean, I see more more cracks, you know, in, in cat heads here than than I like to think. Everyone everyone thinks they're they're super yeah. durable, great, uh, you know, best thing ever. And they do pull hard. They you know they 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 are they work hard. But they if you're getting a lot of power out of them, if you go the other direction and go for horsepower, you will crack heads. There there will be maintenance involved. It's not uh, it's not quite the the trouble free thing that people like to think they are. Um, and they're not well serviced anymore. Cats out of that business, you know. So parts yeah, are god awful expensive. Point. If you do need them, uh, they just really don't care about the market. They they've got zero zero interest in it. Uh, where Detroit still services all the stuff, uh, all the reman parts are made over in Ohio. It's uh, it's a whole lot easier to deal with. So I would okay. go with the Series 60. And 
Yeah, if you're going to Fitzgerald, that's their best deal. I mean, they're uh, they're Series 60. I, I think there's zero adder on for it, right? Yeah, you know, they they do their pricing. If you buy the truck with the zero, with the with the uh, Series 60 in it, it's it's that price, and then it's an adder for the Cummins or or bigger adder yet for the uh, for the Cat, right? Is that how it still works over there? Well, I do know as far as Fitzgerald, they have two or three different engines or two different engines you can get. You can get one with all OEM Detroit or or all OEM Cummins, or you can get reman parts in them. And uh, I've always been told it's better just to go with what's supposed to be on there. So spend the extra money to get a full Detroit, all Detroit part, or Cummins or Cat or whatever engine you choose, but always go with the extra one because it's going to have all original equipment and and not a reman. Uh, but another reason I was going to get a glider is because uh, I, I've just been reading a lot on the new uh, ELD and pre-99 or pre-2000, whether it's the engine or the body, you don't have to have an ELD. And I wouldn't mind the ELD, but you can't stop your time. Uh, so let me let me clarify something. The ELD mandate, as it stands right now, is is engine only. That's all they're looking at. So a glider works because they're not going to look at the vehicle registration, only the engine, but it doesn't work backwards. I can't take a 98 truck, put a 2003 motor in it. I can do that, but then I will be subject to the ELD mandate. It does go by the yes, engine sir, I, specifically. I Yes, yeah, not a combination of both. So I just wanted people to be clear. The the year of the truck has nothing to do with the ELD mandate. It's engine only. So um, the other thing I want people to be clear on, you can't take a new truck that wasn't a glider or a newer truck and put an old engine in it to meet the ELD mandate because then you're breaking the emission laws. So the glider is the only exception to that. Right, right, and I understood that from what I was reading on the on the website. But uh, anyway, well, I appreciate it. Uh, so I guess maybe it's probably a Detroit, uh, just because they're easier to work on and, and they really care about what they're trying to get out there. And Cat really has no interest in the trucking industry, yeah. I guess, anymore. Yep, I couldn't agree more. There's music. I've got to get to a break. We will be right back with more stuff. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. I've got Ethan and John with me from Pittsburgh Power. We're going to get right back to your calls. We're off to Maryland. Todd, welcome to the program. Hey, how are you guys doing today? My question is, uh, uh, comparing, uh, I've got a new Western Tire spec out that I'm going to have built probably next spring to early summer. And I am debating, I'm trying to figure out which is going to be the best route because I'm maybe pulling heavy back in Michigan again. So I'm debating between either the DD-16 or the new X-15 performance. I'm just curious. I know there's not a lot out there on the, the new Cummins version because it's so new, but just your guys' opinions. Uh, I'll, I'll jump in and I'll let Ethan and John talk about the the differences in the newer engine but my thing here even pulling heavy i just don't see the reason for a 16 liter engine they're more expensive they're heavier we can't get the fuel economy out of them um they take up more space things are already cramped 15 liter engines are pretty darn big and we can get all kinds of power out of them let's think about this we're really not pulling any more weight than we were about 30 years ago. I mean, we might even be able to go back farther than that. we were still pulling the same amount of weight. We were pulling 80,000 pounds with 290s and 318s, and they weren't very efficient at producing horsepower or torque. So I just don't see, I would compare the DD15 and the X15. And for me, it would be the DD15 just because I know that engine so much better. Um, but mm-hmm. from what I gather, um, the X15 is a pretty impressive engine. But I'll let John and Ethan talk about it. They're right there every day working on the newest versions and seeing it. So my input is I, I would just stick with the 15. I'm talking about uh, possibly either hauling multi-axle back in Michigan again like I used to do. So. I'm talking 160,000 pounds a day going down the road and eight axles behind me. So when, I, when I'm no, talking I, I heavy, that's it. what I mean by heavy. I get it. But the, the X-15 okay. is a 15 liter. I mean, we, you yeah. know, so you're going to, on one hand, you're going to have a 15 liter. I would stick with the 15 liter on both. One of the problems, I think, with the 16 liter engines is they're not very common. So parts are harder to find. People don't work on them as often. I, I just think there's too many downsides to a 16 liter and not enough upside. Just my opinion. John, what do you think? I'm with you on that. I don't think it needs to be the 16. I don't have a whole lot of info on that Detroit 16 liter, though. But the DD15, is we all know, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of. And I, I really like the Cummins X15. But uh, we, I'm actually having a little struggle with one right now. We, we've installed one of our soot traps on one, and it was the first engine that was smart enough to notice a difference in EGR flow and get pissed off. So I've got some more work to do on that one. So. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So if, if um, you've got a if you've got an X15 and you want one of these things, I'm not quite ready yet. So it's going to be back in here on Friday, and I'm going to try and make some mods to the canister and see if I can't make it flow a little bit better. Or I may actually have okay. to build a special one for that. So that that that's. So, so in a conversation uh, I had discussing X15s, I'm like, I thought it was the same as a 2350 because we've been successful with installs on the CM2350, which was the predecessor, and the electronics on the X15 are still considered 2350, but evidently there are a few thousand more lines of code in there, and it's gotten a lot fussier and a lot more uh, complicated. 
externally, they've cleaned that engine up a lot. It no longer has a seventh injector on it for regens. It actually hangs open uh, number three and number four uh, during overlap right. and, and puts some raw fuel out into the exhaust. It does some really cool stuff. And it is definitely cutting edge, at least on the electronics end. Uh, the mechanicals of the of the uh, ISX are still pretty antiquated. I mean, it's nowhere near what the uh, the DD series engine is. The DD15 is uh, it, again. It, we'll go back to rotating mass and such, but I mean, it's really lighter weight inside and some really clever design in there, and you know, hollow cam shafts and just things that you, you don't see anywhere else in a trucking engine. That really impressed uh. me. And, and we now, don't see problems with them. I mean, there are a few things that are going to happen to it, and about 600,000 miles it's going to crack the rocker box and leak oil. There there are things that are going to go wrong with it, don't get me wrong, but it's, uh, it's a pretty solid platform. We don't see a lot of issues even uh, with uh, the after-treatment systems on those. So now, I'm buying a truck tomorrow, personally. If I'm, I'm going to get one of those fancy new Western Stars with the uh, the really cool front end, and it's going to have a DD-15 in it. That's what I would be buying. Okay. So. Now, what about the torque? I mean, at that 50, can you get you, you can only get 1850 out of those over torque, right? Or can you bump that DD15 no, up I, to? There's a high torque version of well, it. Ethan's on the interwebs right now, looking it up for you. So well, here. for the, the DD16, I know you were thinking on that one. It has the same yeah. torque specs as the ISX15. You can get them in a 620 50 foot pound torque range. Right. Right. Yeah. So the you know, the torque, you know. To go with a slightly smaller displacement, it would be the wiser idea because you get the same okay. horsepower with less weight. Right, right. What's the yeah. there's I mean, a I've got torque a, version of the DD15 this year though too. It's lower horsepower and high, higher torque. I think it was up around 1900. Okay. It was it wasn't far off of that. Okay. Because I've got a I've got an ISX now. It's a 06 or 05 actually motor. But I talked to you guys a few uh, probably a month or so ago. I had this thing EGR delete. I was going to build a glider with it, and I changed my mind. Um, because just I'm reading so much more about the new technology and the fuel mileage and, and all that fun stuff. So I've decided to bag my glider. And uh, But I'm really impressed with what this Cummins is doing, and that's why I'm, like, you know, back and forth. But um, but then listening to you guys talk about the Detroits and all that, that's why I'm, now I'm kind of leaning, been kind of leaning towards that, but uh, because there's really no information on that new X15 really yet. I mean, I know it's. I know they ran it all last year in test trucks and all that, but they're you know just so new, and I'm not a big fan of being a guinea pig, you know, that kind of stuff. One good thing though so, about the DD15 though too is it doesn't have a variable geometry turbo. It no. still has a fixed vane turbo on it, which it's, brings the price of it yeah, down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They get it done with a fixed okay. vane now. So it's an interesting, okay. yeah, the, the, I, like I said, that, that DD-15 is just a workhorse. I mean, we're seeing them roll in here with over a million miles on them now and no issues. And still no issues. Right. I'm not even thinking about rebuilding them. So, um, you know, until we know better, until that, that X-15 has been around for a little while and we, we start to see some of the benefits of the new technologies on it, uh, right. you know, I, I, I'm, I'm going to have to lean toward that. And I'm, I'm a Cummins guy. Like, I... Uh, I was raised, you know, I met Bruce when I was 15, and he had me building twin turbocharged Cummins engines when I was 19. So of our own design, we weren't even doing the. Uh, so I, I love Cummins, but this something about this this DD platform, uh, you know, it's Mercedes Benz and European roots. I think are, are part of why it's so uh, uh, reliable, and the in the after treatment systems work so well, and just you know everything about them it seems to be a step ahead. For now, you know, I mean, for right now, you know, that could change in a hurry. But, uh, you know, at the moment, I, I think it's the safest bet. 
I agree, John. It's interesting you say, you know, your choice of truck that you're buying, because somebody asked me on the Sunday show, if you had to buy a new truck today, first, would it be a glider, or a new truck? And I said, I'm happy to say for the first time in about 12 years, it would be a new truck. And that's exciting for me. I, I've been avoiding them forever uh, and I'm excited. But I, I went through the specs and mine would have been the Western Star 5700 with a DD-13. And, you know, all right. the bells and whistles for fuel mileage, six by two, the whole shot, direct drive gears. Uh, I, I just think that is an awesome truck. You've got the quality. You've got the aerodynamics. You've got the engine. It, it finally feels like I can buy the whole package now. Whereas before I used to have to choose. Was, was it the engine I wanted or do I really want the cab quality? Because it was hard to find both. And now I can. So hands down for right. me, that'd be the truck I'd be buying today. And it's it's a it's a darn good looking truck too. I mean it's it's a it's a nice piece. I really really like that thing. Yeah. And yeah, the, the I, new I sharp agree. lines, the the sharp lines on the new Cascadia, I really like too. That that's that's definitely uh, stepped it up a notch too. That's got a nicer look now too. Yeah. The my my downside with the Cascadia is they they still left some of the quality out of the interior. Typical Freightliner, their interiors have been junk forever. They did a little better on the Cascadia than the Columbias and Centuries were, but I, I think the the Western Star gives you better quality. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And the, the other problem with Cascadia is they're everywhere. I, I mean, when you go down the highway, I, you know, sure. I travel a bit still. They are just everywhere. Yeah. Um, even in the racing paddocks now, I'm seeing. Uh, we were in Toronto. They had us uh, inside the convention center, and it seemed about every race team had it had a new Cascadia. I mean, there was there of the forty or fifty trucks that were in there. I'd have to say thirty-five of them were were, were new Cascadias, and it's just they're I'll just bet. everywhere. It, it, it amazes me. You, you kind of sound like me. I I always want something a little different. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Yeah, I I don't want the latest and greatest that everybody already has. I want something different than. Uh, you know, different than the crowd. But, you know, my first is just cost. You know, how well does it do the job? And that that Western Star just really meets every requirement I was looking for. And it's been a long time since I could say that about a truck. So pretty exciting. I almost want to go buy one. I just don't need one right now. Uh, there's the music. That means I've got to wrap this one up and get out of here. And we will do it again thanks for joining us this has been the power hour thanks to john and ethan from pittsburgh power we'll see you next time be safe be profitable be fit and healthy always do the hard work and master the journey i'm kevin rutherford everybody hang on we're gonna do uh, another hour let me get set up and we'll get started let me take a look at questions real quick uh, you know it looks like we could fit some questions in we have a lot of callers on hold but it looks like we might have some room for questions in the second hour 
Uh, we're going to go right to questions, so we'll be able to get to more. So if you want to jump in and join us, press 1 on your phone right now. We're going to get started. Your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show is all about the business of trucking. And today is the Power Hour. I've got the guys from Pittsburgh Power. Ethan and John are with me today to do the heavy lifting. I'll stand around and press some buttons and jump in with my opinion once in a while. John, Ethan, welcome back. Great to be here, Kevin. Always good to be here, Kevin. All right. Yeah, so uh, what do you say we, uh, unless you guys have something you want to discuss, we get to some phone calls and maybe we can knock them all out this show. We get so many of them. Well, let's do that, yeah. Let's get some for Ethan. I talked too much last time. All right, let, let's do that. Let's go. I think this one is for Ethan. Let's start off in Ohio. Scott, <laughs> welcome to the program. Hi, guys. How are you doing today? Good. How are you? Good, good. I got a 2013 ISX. Um, been getting a problem where either I'm coming back into a spot for the night or even a stoplight has done it. Um, I'll get the stop engine, check engine light come on. Of course, dash only says connect service tool. But by the scan gauge, it's run about a pound and a half, two pounds of boost sitting at idle. It'll drop right to zero. And that's when that check engine light comes on. If I go around the corner and stop the next light, it'll clear itself. Or even backed into a spot, sit there for a few minutes, clear itself. Which I've been trying to figure it out. We had a boost pressure code for a while. We cleaned the sensor, and that, that seemed to have cleared itself up. But I don't know if two are related or there's separate problems, or I'm just trying to get an idea where what we could be looking for. Uh, it very well could be related, but what you're going to have to do, and I absolutely hate it whenever you look on the dash and it tells you connect service tool, because that just pretty much means that it's not going to help be helpful at that moment. Uh, you're going to have to check the code there. It could be, it's interesting that the boost turns off, because that's telling me the ECM sees something that it's not happy with, and it's going right. into like a, a default safety mode real for a moment. And then it says, hey, everything's okay, and resume operation. Um, so you're really going to have to check the code there, and it could be something as simple as still some issue with the boost sensor or another sensor okay. related. All right. Yeah, because like I say, it, it only comes on it, at most. Maybe it'll come on for about three or four minutes, and it'll just clear itself, and I won't have a problem with it for weeks, and I'll also they'll just do it again. I'd like to say the, the check engine, the saw, what I call the soft check engine light, the little one up in the top corner of the dash, doesn't come on, hasn't come on since we cleaned the boost pressure sensor. So I just. Yeah, and those sensors on those trucks tend to get plugged up real fast. Yeah. It's never a bad idea to periodically clean them, check them, and even replace them every once in a while just to keep the efficiency okay. up there because they have a real thin thermocouple in the center of them. And you right. know, they they also measure temperature, and if if that breaks or something happens to that, it it tends not yeah. to read correct. That's actually that's actually a hot wire temp sensor, so it's a thermistor. 
not a thermocouple. So as soon as it gets coated with carbon, it's got some insulator on it. So you start getting uh, some some misinformation back to the uh, computer at that point. So okay. I, I'd pull that out. Now, depending on what you do for for oil changes, or maybe when you change your filters, or when you change your oil, I'd say every time you maintain your truck, take it's one one bolt. You pull it out and then keep a soft uh, short paintbrush or something to uh, you know just just clean it clean it off every time. Okay, and uh, if this does this again, I can pull the codes off. I can give you guys a call, and you should be able to try to narrow this down a little more. Or... Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, that'd be great. All right, thanks, guys. I appreciate the help. Hey, no problem. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Hey, John, now I have a question for you. Okay. You just said something that I I don't know the difference between, and I want to know because – on my coach, the AC system that I occasionally have issues with, and, and every time the, the technician said this, I'm like, what the hell? Is, what is a thermistor, and what's the difference between the two? <laughs> well, a, a thermocouple is a little bimetal deal. It's got the two different metals in it and, and the little piezo generator, I think, of some sort, right? So it, it actually makes voltage. Current. It current. Makes current. It makes current based upon temperature. So, and you could put those through a war. You could you could do whatever you want to it. And they're made out of Inconel, and they are you know pretty much bulletproof. And then the computer, or whatever, reads the current coming from it. So it'll know, you know, what the what the temperature is based upon a calibration. X amount of current equals you know translates to whatever temperature. A thermistor, uh, you know. Any any conductor changes con- conductivity with temperature. So what a thermistor is is a, a wire that's got some current to it. You know, so basically it's a short. You know, so so it's a hot wire. Uh, it's got a five volt reference, and the other side goes to ground, and it senses load on that five volt reference. And then as temperature changes around it, its atmosphere changes, that voltage changes. So the thermistor in the in the intake air temperature on the Cummins, when it gets covered in soot from the EGR, it uh, it's covered up and it changes. It, it doesn't give a good info back. Got it. You follow Not that? Not sure how that's going to okay. help. I, I, I do. I, I'd like to understand, and now I understand the difference. I kind of knew how a thermocoupler worked, but that helped a little bit there. But the first time I was having the air conditioning problem, and I was in there with the whole thing apart, and I called down to the shop, and they're like, it sounds like the thermistor. And I'm like, the what? <laughs> I had no idea what I'm talking about. I'm like, okay. <laughs> somewhere yeah. somewhere in your climate control. Um, old Porsches had this problem a lot. Euro cars were, it was a bigger deal. They had a thermistor mounted in the dash, and it had a little fan behind it to pull air over it all the time. And dust and lint and whatever would get stuck to it because it was hot, and it would actually attach itself to it. And all of a sudden, you'd start getting lousy info to your computer or to your your climate control system. So find your thermistor wherever it is, take it out, get a soft brush of some sort, a little paintbrush or something, and clean all the stuff that's stuck to it off and put it back in, and your AC will work a whole lot better. Well, it makes total sense now because there was nothing physically wrong with the AC. It could put out cold air. It was putting out cold air just fine, but I could tell it was getting bad information. It it wasn't putting out cold air when it should have been. So that makes total sense now, and I have something I can go fix. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Climate, watch out. Climate control systems and vehicles have them everywhere. They're in some of the ductwork. Some of them, they'll be. If you have a multi-zone deal, there'll be one in the vent on either side. It's uh, 
yeah, so you look around and you can find them. They're they're in there. So you pull the pull the vent off and you'll see it right there behind it. Or it'll use one, like I said, should should be pulling air over it from, from inside to get a temperature measurement from inside the vehicle. Yep. Got it. All right. Well that's exciting. I learned something today. That always makes it a successful day. Let's uh let's go to Indiana. Steve, welcome to the program. Hey guys, uh, yeah, I got uh, got a little problem I need to uh, get addressed, and I want to know exactly, I mean, kind of what which areas to look at. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I noticed that my voltage, which usually ran 13.8 to 14.1, had dropped down to 13.5 to 13.7. So I had my home shop check the electrical system over, and they checked the uh, alternator and uh the batteries were fine they're they're deep cycle batteries they shouldn't be uh shot <clears throat> yet and uh um but uh, today i'm down at uh, on the scan gauge at 12.4 and on my readout at 12.1 today uh so after i get this hot load delivered i'm gonna be at a uh, petro tonight i probably need to get somebody to check something what should i kind of look at them checking over this evening, what would make the voltage drop that much? If they check the batteries and check the uh, the alternator, what else could there be? I, I had them check for all the grounds and everything, and uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago at home, so I uh, uh, haven't had any for three years. No, no electrical issues with the truck, you know. So. You're, it, it sounds like right now the truck's not charging at all. If you're down at 12.4, 12.1, which means it's not taking any, having any charge. Um, I would okay. still be sus- suspect of the voltage regulator on the alternator, uh, just because okay. it can work sometimes and then sometimes st- start working again. I had a car where that did that to me, and eventually it stranded me at a gas station because it didn't charge, uh, where it would work yeah. sometimes and then it wouldn't. So it almost sounds like a voltage regulator on the alternator there. Okay, I'm a, so, I'll and, have a and, look at that first thing, and the, maybe the wire from the the hot wire from the alternator over toward the batteries. Now I have a, a engine start module on here, so my you know I don't have the hot to the to the uh, starter and then the starter to the battery. I you know with the uh, with the Maxwell you run straight to the batteries with it, so I can have them check those. That I figured to check that wire first, check the alternator again just to make sure. And like you said, the voltage regulator uh, specifically on the on the uh, alternator, right? Yeah, because they're, they're built into it there. And like I said, I've seen them work sometimes and then start working, stop working, and then like right now it sounds like yours isn't working at all. Right, yeah. If it's if yeah. it's one of the smart sense regulators, that means there's a separate wire that goes back to the battery that senses the voltage there so it doesn't uh, – so compensates for line loss between the between right. the batteries and the, and the engine. So check that wire uh-huh. as well if okay. if it's got it. Uh, if it doesn't right, have it, then obviously you're not going I, to. I but yeah, have a look at that. Light, I, I should be able to make it to my stop, and, and they're only three miles from where I have this hot delivery this afternoon. So I'll try to get in there and see, have them look at it then. All right. Thank you, guys. You're welcome. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. The music's playing. We're going to get to a break. We will be back right after this. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. I've got John and Ethan with me from Pittsburgh Power. We're going to get right back to your phone calls. We are off to, well, we're going to stay right there in Indiana. Hilberto, welcome to the program. Hey there. I was just wondering if uh, the fleet air filter for a DD15 and 13 is the same filter. Because when I look for it, I never see anything listed for a 13. Oh, hold on. Let me uh, let me bring those guys in. They're probably talking to themselves again. You you, you guys can join us. It's okay. <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. I think that depends on the truck. You'd have to talk to Fleet about that, though. I'm I'm not sure. We've okay, seen yeah, a, a few. Oh, go ahead. No, I have a, a 2012 with a, a DD13 Cascadia. I've been looking you know, around. One of the way, I live in Toronto. So one of the easy ways for you to figure this out is um, on our website because we have it in our store, and Aaron is excellent at setting this kind of stuff up. If you just go in and tell us which filter you have now, it will match the filter you need. So just pull the filter that's in the truck out, get the the brand and the the number off of it. And if you just choose that brand and number in our website, it'll tell you which fleet air filter to use. All right. I have one last question, if you don't mind. Sure. Go ahead. The, uh, yeah, the programming that uh, Pittsburgh Power offers, is that the, the type of programming, like if you went to a dealer and they flashed it, it, it would be gone? Yes. There's just like, you know, we can write over theirs. They can do the same thing. Okay. So, uh, all right. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. We're going to head off to Georgia this time. Pete, welcome to the program. Hey, how are you? Hey, I've got a question Good. for What's you too. You guys kid? overhauled by N4. You guys overhauled my N14. Uh, I was just wondering, and fan, can you guys go into the ECM and have it kick in at 200 instead of 210? On an N14, is it a select or select plus? It's the big white one we just rebuilt. Oh, the select is it select yeah. plus. Hi, yeah. Pete. How you doing? Select plus. Yes. Good. Yeah, you? It's select plus. Yes. Good. Yes, on a select okay, plus. Okay. Well, next time I'm um, open. All right, next time I'm going through there, I want to do that. Okay. Hey, how's that thing running, Pete? Thank you. Uh, how are how you running, Pete? Uh, very good. Uh, I'm hitting over seven all the time, and uh, I don't really have that many miles on it. I've only got close to 20 since you guys did the overhaul. But I went out west and back, and that surprised me going up and down Interstate 90 uh, that I was staying uh, right at seven or a little bit above. So I was pretty happy with that. Terrific. Yeah, that's great. Uh, other than that, I can't complain. What is, that thing is running super. This is the first truck I've ever had that when it idles, the mirrors don't vibrate. So I'm <laughs> quite happy with it. Now that's cool. 
we just did another N14 that was so smooth. It, it was amazing. Uh, we just it just did one and started up. I'm like, what is that? Sounds so, you know, a lot of the modern engines sound a little rattly, except for the brand new ones. You know, the, the Series 60s, you know, they, they don't sound all that good at, at idle. And this, uh, the N14, just, uh, some of them are just smooth as glass. Sounds like a sewing machine sitting there. It's pretty amazing. Uh, that's the way mine feels like it. I'm pretty good. Mine always ran pretty smooth. But I still had that fine vibration when uh, I was idling. And I'll, one day, you know, I was just sitting. I didn't notice it right away. You know, when it got one day, I was getting ready to back up. It's like, usually I'd have to rev it up a little bit just to clear up the mirror. And like, damn, this is nice. <laughs> so I'm pretty happy Good. with it. All right, I'm glad you're enjoying it. Little oh, yeah, we'll take, care, we'll take care of that fan when you get here next time. Good stuff. All right, let's head off to Arizona. Steve, welcome to the program. Hello. Kevin? Hello? Yep, it's your turn. Go ahead. Hi. Hey, guys. Um, yeah, I've got a 98 International 9400 with a 1LW, um, and I bought it with a leaking head gasket or uh you know, there's coolant, uh, coolant in the oil, at least under analysis. It's not milky uh, or anything. And uh, so I went to go take off the head, and I'm about ready to take it off right now. Um, and I've already noticed that uh, I think the, the problems in number five, uh, the exhaust port's, like, really clean compared to the other ones. And uh, I was wondering... Uh, I. Is there any uh, fix for these uh, 3406E models that seem to have problems in uh, the number five and number six cylinders? Not that I know of. Uh, and I, it's funny, we, uh, we we had one on the dyno we'd been doing some testing with, and we, uh, we, we destroyed number mm -hmm. six on it. Uh, we were working it pretty hard, and, and there is the, – there, they, there's – quite often an air pocket back there even if you bleed it uh, out even if you bleed it out yeah so you know and after that you know i thought maybe you need some sort of a shunt hose from back there to the header tank just to just to let the air out of that area you know drill and tap the block oh. and move it around to the back back up to the header tank but uh it was news to me when we when we did one here and, and i've since you know done a little research and i found that is a problem that there is an area there where it's not uh, where the coolant doesn't really really stay they, they end up with an air pocket back there somehow if you've got that clean cylinder there, though, I'm willing to bet that it may not have simply been from the heat. Uh, you know, you'll have scored five or six or five and six if uh, if it's because of the air pocket deal. I'm willing to bet you've got a cracked head. Oh, okay. Because yeah, if, if you if you if you pull that if you pull that head off and you find that uh, you know that, that uh, the cylinder looks fine if you haven't scored it, because what happens is those those cylinders alone will overheat. You'll never see it on the gauge. And you'll end up scoring uh, a cylinder, so either five or six. And so I'm willing to bet that that's not what's going on with you. Uh, and take uh, a look; the liners tend to crack too, right around the uh, uh, whatever we call it there, where the, the little bit that uh, that protrudes up from the liner, not not the ceiling surface, but the the surface inside of it that that moves that that sits up uh, inside of the uh, uh, intermediate plate. We we've been finding some. Uh, 
circumferential cracks right around the base of that, right at the uh, where, where the stress is the highest there at the, at the base of that uh, machine area there. So if you pull the head off and oh, okay. if the and the gasket looks fine and you don't see any cracks in the head and the the cat cracks between the valves, yeah, right? Yeah, between the valves, the ISXs go around uh, the injector hole. It's a starburst hole. from the injector hole. Yep. They go straight out from the injector uh, hole, and the, and the cats okay. will see cracks between the valves. And they're usually visible. Uh, so, you know, you'll you'll, right. you'll see it. Clean clean the bottom off, and you'll see a crack there. Uh, so, we'll But, yeah, so the... that cylinder that's clean. So if you've got, if number five's clean, you're getting water in there somehow. You've got coolant making its way into the combustion process and cleaning it off whenever, whenever yeah. it, uh, it's basically steam cleaning it. Yeah, I I bought the truck and it's been sitting I don't know for two years now and uh, um, the guy said uh, his driver overheated it, you know what that means I'm not really sure but I know the when I drove it back from Portland, um, yeah the fan wouldn't kick on till like I don't know two eighteen two twenty something like that, um, and it only drank about a gallon of water between Portland and Phoenix. Um, so it's okay. not, it's not terrible, but, uh, but I know it's, uh, it's failed the bottle test and, and whatnot. So, uh, um, so if I get the head off and, and, uh, and there aren't any cracks, um, I'm probably looking at liner issues. Yeah. Look at the liner then they're difficult to see. And again, I know you, you, we're, we're not perfect and we've gone down this path before where we put a head gasket and a new head on and we fired the thing up and it was still pressurizing and there's little hairline cracks around the liners what you have to watch for there. So take mm. take a really close okay. look at it. If you don't see if you don't find a smoking gun on the cylinder head or the gasket, I'd pull that right. liner out and take a magnifying glass and look right around that uh right around the the clamping surface there. It was uh it was in framed at uh Sacramento Cat four hundred thousand ago. Um is it normal practice for them to uh Cut the counterbores and shim. It depends the, on the surface. The uh, Cat's got a an interesting. Um, when you do a rebuild, their their criteria is if there were still machine marks in the top of the block, you know, from when when the top of the block was surfaced, as the big fly cutter leaves uh-huh. leaves lines behind, and if those aren't completely gone, they don't machine it. But if those uh-huh. are worn. So where the where the liner sits on top of the uh, of the deck surface now, if that's worn smooth right. under there, they recommend uh-huh. that they cut it and shim it. So it, uh, you won't know until you get inside. I mean, they, like I said, they've got a criteria that leads them down that path that tells them whether to do that or not. So if the tech okay. took it apart and he still had machine marks underneath the uh, liners, then they probably wouldn't have done it. If uh, they were polished smooth under there, they would have cut it and shimmed it. I see. Okay. All right, guys. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. You're welcome. All right. The music's playing. That means I've got to get to a break. We'll be right back with more stuff. Stick around. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. This is the Power Hour. I've got Ethan and John with me from Pittsburgh Power. We're going to get right back to your phone calls. We are up to Georgia this time. Pete, welcome to the program. Not sure. Doesn't look like we have anybody on that line. Let's try Wisconsin. Terry, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. You got an oil sample there that I'd like you to read? I've got it here in front of me. Let me clarify a few things. Looks like we've got uh, almost 1. million miles, 1.9 million miles on a Series 60. Is that correct? Yes, sir. It had a re- it, it was uh, in frame at 800,000 miles. I cracked the head and I said, well, let's just rebuild it right away long for taking it that far. So I had a rebuild. So I got a million miles on the uh, in frame right now. Okay, and it's not a big deal, but when you fill out the paperwork, I, I would put the mileage since in frame because that's kind of what we're looking at. Oh. You know, is this original original miles? Has it had an in frame? So under unit time, put the total miles since the in frame, and then under the lube time, I'm looking at 120,000 miles. That was since the last full oil change, that's- correct? Yes, sir. Okay. Um, This is a pretty amazing engine. I got to tell you, for 1.9 million miles, I don't care if it's been rebuilt or not, and that rebuild was virtually a million miles ago, you have 120,000 on the oil. It's just darn clean. There's not a single thing to talk about in this sample. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I have nothing to do. I mean, it, it's just clean. There's just nothing to say. Well, I just wanted to, uh, the other question I had is: Is there anything I could do to keep this engine running this good? I mean, I, I, I do stuff from from. I've got the, the damper on mine. I, in fact, I, I just put a new damper on it now. Uh, but everything else that I've got on it, I haven't even opened it up. We haven't even had to open it up. We did. I shouldn't say that we did one uh, in our uh, overhead on it, but the injectors are still the same. Everything is still the same under there. I haven't touched anything. Is there anything I can do to keep it going that good? I, I, I think the only thing that's going to help you're going to have to sacrifice a cat to the diesel engine gods. <laughs> 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 yeah, you, you don't you don't touch that one is what you do. Yeah, but okay. you, the all usual right. though, keep an eye on uh, all your air intake duct work and things like that. I mean, something could go wrong in a hurry with a with a hole rubbed and things like that. So take take a good look around at everything, and you know you might want to even though it doesn't need them, take a look at sensors and wiring and just make sure nothing's gonna gonna go wrong there because it'll all snowball effect. So if you know, you start giving the computer some some bad info, then all of a sudden things change in a hurry. So, but yeah, just keep up on your maintenance. Take a good look at everything. Keep it clean, and uh, like I said, the air intake's the the biggest thing. Just make sure you 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 don't have any any compromises anywhere in the intake track, and and I keep running to, it. Yeah. Don't and do I much, man. I have the fleet air filters on. Yeah, I've not got yeah. the fleet air filters yeah. on it. So I do all the stuff that he, that you guys tell me to, and, and uh, I don't run it hard. My wife drives at 57, and I drive at 62. So that's it. <laughs> 
That's terrific. Yeah, just keep running it. You just sent you just sent that sample in to show off. I know you did. That had nothing to do with any, any advice. You're just <laughs> no, showing off. No, I need it. No, no, I need it. All those people with all those people with high iron and high copper, they're all oh, man. They're embarrassed now. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you guys. Yeah. I appreciate it. You have you have a good day then. Okay. You're welcome. Thanks okay, for the you call. Too. You know that, that, that's just an amazing thing. 1.9 million miles on an engine, 120,000 miles on the oil, and that sample is just darn clean. What uh, what is it? I didn't uh, I didn't get that. Does it say on the analysis? Uh, Series 60. Of course. <laughs> yeah, of course. That's right. <laughs> Pretty amazing engine, and that one is. That one's just doing really well. Let's uh, let's go to Minnesota. John, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. I got a suggestion for you and John there. Doing a one-hour technology monologue where you two can talk <laughs> about all the newest technology. I really enjoy your guys' introductions to Pittsburgh Power and uh, just a suggestion to pass on to you guys. Maybe start thinking about that. That way you can get to the questions right away in the next show. We we discussed that at one uh, point, didn't we, Kevin? We we did. We should yeah. do a tech a tech talk, truck talk. We could have fun with that. I think we could do something there. Uh, that'd be you know, a good time. Uh, but I'm all for it. If you want to you want to do another show? I'm I'm free. I got you know pick another another hour <laughs> time slot at some point. We could do that. Yeah. You know, Bruce and I. When I first had Bruce on the show, I came up with an idea, and at the time. Um, I, I was only doing weekend shows when I first started on XM. And then within the first couple of months, they asked me if I would do weeknight shows. And they thought it was asking too much for me to do seven nights a week, which actually be, turns out to be nine shows every week. So they wanted me to do Saturday through Wednesday. And I said, you know, what are you going to do on Thursday and Friday. And they said, well, we'll just run reruns from the Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday show. And I said, what if I just came up with a couple new show ideas for Thursday and Friday night? Yeah. And they said, oh, that'd be awesome. And then we'll replay those on Saturday and Sunday night. That's how we got to the nine shows a week. Uh, so I came up with uh, some ideas for different shows. And Bruce and I did a whole series of kind of, you know, truck systems 101 so we would just walk people through how every system in the truck worked like how does the cooling system work you know you have antifreeze in this thing we call a radiator and and we assumed that you knew nothing and and we we broke it down to the absolute basics so you understood where the water flowed what made a thermostat open where the coolant ended up why there used to be water filters, just everything you could want to know about the cooling system. And then we talked about the intake system and the turbocharger. And we, we tried to cover everything that on a truck. And it was a great series. People absolutely loved it. It was a lot of fun doing. But if we were to look at that now, it would be so outdated. You know, it used to be, I've said this many times, it used to be that trucks were all the same. I don't care what truck you had, what engine you had. The, all the technologies were basically identical. Nobody was doing anything radically different. Now you look at engines and trucks and systems, and they're not similar at all. 
everybody is using different technologies to achieve things. It would be cool to take that same approach on, you know, brand new trucks. How do these systems really work? Like you just explained to me the difference between a thermistor. I thought they were making that up and a thermocouple. Now I know Um, it'd be cool to, you know, explain all the technologies and then compare, you know, Detroit is doing this for this issue and Cummins does this and and then go back through the basics of all the systems. I, I'm all for what it. I was thinking is just the technologies coming through in the news too that you two are following back and forth. Uh, I'm addicted to it. I really am. I'm, I'm obsessed with yeah. uh, with reading about it and learning it, and it's really, really fun. It's it's a it's an interesting industry right now, and the, there there are some changes coming in a hurry. Um, you know, there, there's a, I read an article this week that was titled that there's there's a big self-driving truck about to roll over the economy, uh, and and they they're, they're calling that the next big disruption in in the economy is going to be, uh, uh, you know, automated trucks, and and that's way down the road. Don't get me wrong; it's not going to happen tomorrow or anything. But still, the technology's there, and then we're seeing bits and pieces of it right now, and in things like platooning and yeah so if we could do shows where we talk i'd love to do that kevin if you wanted to let's call it a brainstorming uh you know show and yeah i've yeah. got some I, friends in the industry and some engineers and so forth that you know maybe we could get the get a guest speaker once in a while and we could we could actually talk to some of the guys making this stuff happen that'd be cool that'd be very cool Let, let's uh well you and i'll talk about that i'd love to do something like that speaking of new technology, because this is something you and I follow a lot. We talk about a lot. I'm kind of obsessed with it, too. I have, you know, I have news aggregators that grab everything that has anything to do with trucking and autonomous trucks and technology. Here's the interesting thing. In 32 years of being in trucking, I have never used the two, the words together, venture capitalist and trucking. That they, those two <laughs> never crossed paths in my 32 years. There is so much venture capital flowing into trucking right now. You have to know this is the next big disruption. Technology has finally got around to trucking. It's been missing for a long time, and they're here, and they are spending huge amounts of money investing in transportation technology. It's a really big thing right now. And money changes everything. I think Cindy Lauper said that. I'd sing it, but I'd chase everybody away. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rutherford.
case anybody didn't recognize it, that was money changes everything. So, but we'll get back to some calls because that's what we're here for. Uh, I've got Ethan and John with me. This is the Power Hour. We're down to the final segment. We're going to head off to Louisiana. Paul, welcome to the program. Howdy. I just got a What's comment on your mind? today. Can... Nothing wrong with. Well, I just got a comment. N- nothing wrong with old city. So, um, <laughs> you were talking earlier on the earlier show about uh, fuel economy. Well, when you compare it to ton miles a gallon, the people over here that are getting six and seven miles a gallon, it's actually not very efficient for the amount of payload they're hauling. If they were running heavier and just getting a little bit worse fuel economy, the ton miles per gallon would actually be better. Follow my logic? I do, and that's a metric we don't even really use much in trucking. We don't use it at all. Um, And, you know, one of the reasons we probably don't like to talk about ton miles and and fuel economy in trucking is because our competition, um, you know, the the choo-choo guys, they – they yeah. kill us in ton miles for fuel economy. It's not even close. Yeah. And then uh, another comment, the guy from Michigan that's going to be running 160 or whatever he is, a friend of mine in Australia drags a road train around at about the same weight with a cab over 13-liter Volvo rated at 505 horsepower. And they were dragging road trains around in Aussie way more than that with the NTC Cummins rated at 300. Exactly. Uh, Yeah, you know, (laughs) when I talk to people about this, clearly there's a sweet spot for horsepower and torque and how we drive it. We don't want too little. We don't want too much. But I don't see the point in going to these 16-liter engines. They've never been very successful. Um John, even what you said, you're not very familiar with it. That's part of the problem. There's not enough of the 16 liters around. So parts are harder to find. People who have worked on them, have any experience, are harder to find. And I just don't see the upside to them. When I talk about this, I'll ask people that have been in the industry a long time. I'll say, can you remember when we switched from the maximum gross weight being 72,800 pounds to 80,000 pounds? And there are very few people in the industry that can tell you when that happened. I believe it happened not long before I got into the industry. So it may have been sometime in the early 80s or late 70s. So basically, the entire 32 years I've been in this industry, our maximum gross weight's the same. It's 80,000 pounds. We've been pulling that forever. And I've yeah. driven all around the country many, many, many times. I've, I've driven ev- just about every interstate in the country. I've been in every state, all 50. I keep looking, and I haven't found a hill anywhere that got bigger. And you made it up the all, didn't you? You didn't have to turn around and back up. I did. did I did. Even, <laughs> even when I had my 6V92, I made it up every one of the hills. You know, my dad used to tell That's... me stories about – and. You know, these are truck driver stories, but he used to tell me about going through the hills in Pennsylvania when they had naturally aspirated the no no turbos. <laughs> and he would say, you didn't have to stop to pee on the side of the road. The truck was going up the hill slow enough. 
that you could open the door, step the door. out on the running board, and do, and do it while you were practicing. Yeah. Or walk so. alongside it. <laughs> yeah, but they still made it up the hill. The freight got delivered. So, yeah. you know, I'm not saying well, we should go back to 300 horsepower, but I, I just, I'm not a big fan of 16-liter engines. Yeah. So that's that's why they put more than one gear in a transmission, because you're allowed to use all of them. You still get up the hill. You might <laughs> just right. need a lower one. Yeah. So <laughs> That's right. Okay, that's that's all I got. See ya. All right, that's all I need. Thanks for the call. Let's head off to Indiana. Chad, welcome to the program. Hey guys. Uh I don't I think I talked to Ethan uh about a month ago. You told me about the uh ISX engine code. Has the engine codes for the X fifteen changed from the ISX fifteen? Because you told me they, to if I can get a thir- get a thirty nine thirty nine. Yeah, as our favorite CPL, um, based on the parts. No, the codes, what they do is they just add more to them. So they just continuously keep adding more towards the end. And what you see is the the code number just keeps getting bigger. Last time I checked, they were in the upper 5,000 number. It's up there, yeah. yeah. Um, and every time, like, y- y'all know when, like, the, the software will need updated because it'll say unknown code. Then it just means that the computer doesn't recognize what that one is, and Okay, I thought the thirty nine thirty nine was on the side of the motor where the serial comes No, that's that's the the CPL. It'll be on the data tag. It's it's listed on the on mostly on the ISX is on the valve cover. Okay. So it'll be one of the numbers. Yeah, I I know what you're talking about because the last one I've seen had a thirty one forty three number on it. So uh I didn't know because you told me that that thirty nine thirty nine had the better parts in it. How do we know to find that same setup in the new X15? Uh, we wouldn't know that yet. It's just, it's, you know, a lot of it's just right there is trial. Uh, You know, you get a whole bunch of them in, and you just see which one runs a little bit better than the other ones. Um, And Cummins has been like that for a long time. You know, there's certain CPLs that just run better than the others. It's what parts they put in from the factory. Okay. All right, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. You're welcome. Um, we're com- we're coming down uh, to the end of the show. We've still got uh, some time left, John. You know, it's, I'm thinking about that idea of you know describing and explaining how systems in the truck work, exploring the new technologies, comparing the different technologies. Um, off the top of your head, if if you What's what's one topic or system you could think that drivers really need to understand better than what they do? Oh, wow. Uh, the whole electronic control system in general, I think they, they could use a better understanding of. Uh, you know, much like you would you say you and Bruce had your conversations of, you know, basics of how a radiator works. So the in and outs of the ECM and the info in, info out, and and what it does would be a great place to start. Uh, after that, I really, you know, I've been learning more and more and more on these uh, after treatment systems, and they're, they're becoming more and more simple to me. And I'm surprised that these guys have zero idea how they work, let alone the, the maintenance involved and what happens when the thing does a regen. And I think it'd be useful for them to know what's going on under their feet while that stuff's going on. Um, then uh, on top of that, 
uh, we could explore more technology stuff, but I think the simple basics of, of the electronic controls of, of the ECM and what it does and why it makes your truck do what it does and how it controls the fuel that goes into the engine and what happens when you push on the pedal and, and the info that goes, you know, so that the whole, the whole path of information and how it's converted to power, I think would be a very useful topic. I like that one. I, I like that one, and I do like the after treatment. I think it it would be really beneficial for them to understand what's happening throughout that that entire system. Um, yeah, and, just, you know, you know, take the boogeyman out of it. Let, let's make it not be the boogeyman yeah. anymore. You know, learn learn about it. And uh, this, I've been reading up on the ELD thing. Uh, Henry Albert wrote a really nice uh, article in his blog about ELDs and how he'd worked with uh, very primitive versions of, of of a logger years and years ago, and it's a uh, it was interesting to me, and again, I don't understand everybody being so spooked out about it. The rules haven't changed; they're just a little closer enforced now. So to me, it's not that not that that big of a deal. But again, I'm not out there doing it, so I don't want to belittle anybody for not wanting one. But it seems to me to be a whole lot of ballyhoo about not much. But you know, that's something else I think that people could use educated on. I mean, work to change the laws, not the not the method at which the 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 rules are kept. So. I've I've been saying that for a long time. And just to give you the point of view from somebody who's in the truck, I said, look, I don't like ELDs. I don't like one more regulation. I don't like the government watching me one more way. But the real issue that we have is hours of service. This is just another way to enforce the rules we already don't like. I said, if it were up to me, we'd get rid of hours of service. But I'm a libertarian, so that's understandable. Um, But... The really telling thing about ELDs is you talk to people who have used them, and once they get over it, they tend to like them better. That that seems to be a pretty common thing. Um, but, of course, every time I talk about it, I get called names on Facebook, so nothing new there. Uh, Ethan, John, thank you guys. Great stuff. Love the idea going forward. We'll work on that, and uh, we will see you next time. This has been the Power Hour with help from the team at Pittsburgh Power. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. All right, everybody, thanks, and we will see you tomorrow for Destination Health.